Welcome to the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. For those of you who don't know, GTFO means get the F out. In this podcast, we will be discussing how to get the F out. How to get the F out of a bad situation, predicament, or something you want to flat change. I'll be interviewing individuals who have had to GTFO. Expect to hear stories of those who experience situations of despair, pain, and fear. And the only way to escape it was to GTFO. Through this podcast, I want to give you, the listeners, the power and courage to make life changes should you need to GTFO. Today's topic is domestic violence. You are most likely familiar with this term, and it's important for me to share with you the definition of domestic violence. Reason being is because there are individuals out there who think that what they're experiencing at home is normal and are not fully aware that they are actually in a domestic violence situation. So here's the definition. Domestic violence is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. Domestic violence doesn't discriminate people of any race, age, gender, sexuality, religion, education level, or economic status can be a victim or perpetrator of domestic violence. That includes behaviors that physically harm, intimidate, manipulate, or control a partner through physical violence, threats, emotional abuse, or financial control. Here are the recent statistics in the United States. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are victims of physical violence by an intimate partner in the U.S. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence within their lifetime. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. And here is a statistic that I found recently that's intriguing and I honestly have been wondering about. Since the COVID-19 pandemic hit last spring and we have been confined to home, domestic violence has gone up year over year, 10 to 20% in the United States. To give you an example of this increase, San Antonio, Texas, domestic violence is up 18%. In Portland, Oregon, it's up 22%. Bottom line, more people are being impacted and the frequency is rising. Before I introduce our guest today, I also want to make you aware, in case you didn't already know, that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So please be sure to share this episode with anyone that you think needs help support, and guidance. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-7233. Now I'll get to the reason we are here today. My guest today has an amazing and inspiring GTFO story. Jennifer Blue is a nationally renowned playwright, author, speaker, and advocate for domestic violence awareness. A survivor herself, Jennifer Blue established the Jennifer Blue Project to demonstrate that there is life after domestic violence. Ms. Blue's artistic excellence, authenticity, and love for her community permeates every component of the Jennifer Blue Project, which she established in 2010. Since the inception of the Jennifer Blue Project, Ms. Blue's debut play about domestic violence titled It's Easier Said Than Done has received several awards and accolades in the United States. I am so proud to have her with me today. Talk about timing, Jennifer. 
Hey girl. Hey, oh my gosh. Hey. Like, <laughs> I'm so excited. Like this is amazing. So thank you first for having me on. Well, I am so thrilled that I have met you and gotten to know you as well as I have so quickly. And as I do in every episode, I love to talk about how my guests and I know each other. So let's talk about that before I ask you a lot of questions today. How did we meet? Your how did we meet? phenomenal sister that I haven't even actually met yet. We just met, we connected on Instagram. Like I love social media. It just is such a great way to meet people that you wouldn't be able to meet on an everyday basis. Totally, totally. And when I was talking to her about my next episode for this season, I'm like, look, I think I want to talk to someone who has dealt with domestic violence slash abuse. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God, you got to connect with Jennifer Blue. I follow her on Instagram. I follow her on Instagram. She's got a great story. She's super smart and she's a playwright. And she immediately started firing off your contact information. I was like, all right, it's fine. Thank you, Allison. I got to get in touch. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, thank you. So, um, but it's been really lovely to get to know you, Jennifer, and you're such an authentic person. Well, I'm I'm really thrilled to have you here today. And this is such an important topic and it's so relevant. So I just, I just had to, to talk about that. Thank you for doing this. You're going to impact a lot of people today. So now we know how we know each other. Now let's get on to the good stuff. Let's get on to you because I know people want to hear about you and your GTFO moment, but just give us some information on yourself first. Give us some color to your background and where you are now in life. Well, I'll definitely, definitely say I have been through the fire, but girl, I don't even smell like smoke. <laughs> like I'm, it's nothing but God. But if you'd have told me 18 years ago that this, that I would be doing this at 48, I would have never, ever believed you, nor could I even have imagined that. You know, I never thought that my life would be impacting somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. in such a positive way. So I'm really grateful to God for that. Um, I mean, you're talking to a girl who, oh my gosh, I grew up with um, identity issues. Um, I was rebellious as a teenager, which ended me up with a baby at 15. Um, I was on crack cocaine at 17, cocaine at 18. Uh, then I met my abuser at 18 also. But now, you know, I'm successful. I'm doing what, you know, God has called me to do. And I love it. It's my passion, um, domestic violence awareness, and I'm healthy and I'm happy. And I'm just loving life to the fullest girl. You know, me and my three kids were happy. It's just, it's a good time. I'm in a really, really good place. Well, and I, I never seen it. I, I didn't see it coming. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I think it's amazing because you're living your path. This is what you were supposed to be doing. You know, your yeah, content so... from your past is what is where you are now. It's where you take other people. So um, tell me about life back in Michigan. And for our listeners, she's from the Michigan area. But I think where you started is really relevant to your trajectory. You know, it's it's really crazy because truth be told, I believe from the time I was conceived, my life was a lifetime movie. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, my mom had me when she was 18. I grew up with two sisters, you know, a little brother, but I always felt like I was different. Didn't quite know how or why, but I just, you know, I felt like I was different. You know, Mm -hmm. we grew up in a Caucasian, you know, my mother's Caucasian, my sisters are Caucasian, you know, my dad. And, um, but when we always grew up in a Caucasian town, you know, cities, my, um, you know, we moved around a lot until I was like 12, but I was always teased and bullied. And, you know, I was always called these racial slurs. And I'm like, why are they calling me these names? Like I'm white. 
why are they calling me these, you know, these racial slurs like mm-hmm. the N-word? And I mean, kids are mean. Girl, they yeah, was calling mean. me newspaper. What? They, yes, news. I'm like, newspaper? They were calling me brownie. You know, they said I had, you know, the an end butt. I had a, I had end lips. And I'm because I was darker than my sisters. And I had really curly, kinky hair. And they had straight, you know, my one my bait one of my sisters has straight blonde hair. My other sister had straight jet black hair. And my little brother, he had straight blonde hair. And here I am, you know, I had a year long tan. You know, my hair was like super curly. And I just I knew I was different. And, you know, I was never invited over to like, you know, a lot of birthday parties or the sleepovers that the girls were having. And I would go home crying. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm you know, sorry. it's okay. And I mean, it was just like, and my parents were like, oh, we just got Indian in our family. And, you know, you're just darker complected, you know, that's it. And, and they you just, believe this, you believe And this. I did because my yeah. dad was, you know, my mom's white and my dad's white, you know, and then at 10, my mom dropped like this bombshell on me that my I had a different father and I'm like, okay, it's starting to make a, you know, sense, but she left out what his race was. And then at like 12, I started, cause we kind of grew up like in the country area. And then I started going into town, into the city, you know, they had little dances in the city, you know, I don't know. I'm really showing my age here, but Showbiz Pizza Place. They used to have these. Like, I remember Showbiz yes, Pizza Place. Yes. I remember. Well, Jackson, Michigan, where I'm from, um, they used to have dances on Friday nights. So me and my girlfriends, you know, from school, we would go. And I remember I started seeing other kids that looked like me, dark complected, curly hair. You know, I started meeting um, African-American kids. And the first question they always asked was, are you mixed? Are you mixed? And I'm like, no, I just got Indian in me, you know. <laughs> Gosh. And then, and then I started, you know, befriending a lot of um, African American kids. But then, like, out of nowhere, my parents were like, "No, you can't be friends with them. You're not going to their house. They're not coming over here." And I'm like, "We were never a racist family. Like, where is this coming from?" And I was the type of child, you know, because I was curious. Like, if you told me I couldn't do something, I wanted to do it more. Right. And so I became really rebellious. And then um, it was just like a headbutt with my parents. And it was, I couldn't understand why I could not have black friends. It's like, Jennifer, dang. did they ever come clean with you? Did they ever admit? They finally did. Um, well, I had attempted suicide at 12 because like the identity issue oh. was so bad. And then at like 13, after my suicide, my first suicide attempt, they um they kind of eased up and I, I I had a biracial friend I could go over to her house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then um I, it just it's but it still did something wasn't right and then at you know I started dating and then I got pregnant and when I got pregnant um by African American j- guy well gentleman a guy I don't I mean I was fifteen but he was nineteen though you know like when I was rebellion I was you know he's gonna be black and he's older and I just went big. And um, <laughs> I fell in love with this guy. Here it is, but, mom and dad. Here right. <laughs> but um, when I got pregnant, you know, the doctors asked me if I was biracial because they needed to test me for sickle cell. Yeah. For the sickle cell trait. And then sure. that's when my mom came clean. Oh, so it took you to be pregnant for her to, to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, that's amazing. Yeah. It took that. That yeah. was like living in a lie for years and years, Jennifer my whole life. Like, I mean, up until 15. Yeah. 
Wow. It was, it was crazy. And then the, like the craziest part is when my mom and dad divorced, they separated yeah. when I was like 16. My mother only dated black men after that. I'm like, you put me through all this hell for all these years. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I never understood it. And so that we kind of, my mother and I had a really rocky relationship after that, but now we're in a really good place. Good. You I'm know, glad. I had to, I had to learn that, you know what? She only did what she knew to, knew to do with what she knew how to do. Right. Right. That, you know? That's the, that's the tool set she had at the time. Right. Now, I, I didn't get to ask you this in our pre-interview um, a couple of days ago. Did you ever connect with your biological father, Jennifer? No, I okay. have never. Okay. He don't even know curious. I exist. But the oh. funny, it's funny you bring that up because I've always been curious about him, mm -hmm. you know? And so I took like an ancestor DNA, um, test just to like learn more about my my genes yeah and then i was scared when i took that because i was like oh my god what if she lied to me about that like what if i'm really mexican or puerto rican and like <laughs> you know so i took the whole ancestry dna thing and yes um 48 of my family is from um west africa okay so, validation yeah, validation finally and that was actually like a relief i just did that in 2018 Recently. No, 2019. Yeah. Recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I took that too, which will be Did another you? episode at another <laughs> time. Yeah. Let's just say Pandora's box. But we'll yes, let's, I, can I be on that show too? You can be on that show yeah. too, because it, is, because it is, it's a blessing and a curse because you learn a lot. You do. Um, well, okay. So let's go back to f 15 and having a baby. What happened to you? Where, what happened? I thought I knew everything at 15. It's like when I, my mom knew I was pregnant before I did. And she was actually happy, which was weird that I was 15 and pregnant and she was happy, which I guess was, you know, it was cool. Cause then that, that's one less argument we had to have. Now my dad, on the other hand, didn't yeah. speak to me for like four days, but uh, we got through that. And then I had the baby and then I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And then my mom and dad got me emancipated at 16 and got me my own apartment. And then like, here I am with this apartment, baby, bills. I don't know what the hell to do. That's a lot of responsibility for a child. I have There's a 15 year old daughter. I can't even uh -huh. imagine her living on her own right now. Oh no, 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 no. It's too much. It that was, was too lot. much for me, even though I like welcomed the independence, right. but I didn't know what I was welcoming in. I was so young. I grew up really fast. It sounds like it. And and that stuff is stressful as an adult. I mean, yeah. I'm stressed out right now and I'm 50. So, <laughs> right, you know, me too. I mean, no, totally different, totally different show there. Yeah. I mean, fits like I should have been on like, if MTV was going on back then, I think they yeah. were, but they didn't have those reality shows, but I definitely would have been on that um, teen pregnancy show for I sure. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a 16 and pregnant or something, but yeah. yeah. But yeah. from there, you know, like his mom started keeping my son a lot. And then I started, like I said, hanging out with the wrong crowd and then, you know, experimenting with drugs and, you know, really, I, I did crack a lot. I did for like about six months. Wow. About six months. And like my parents didn't even know. Like, how do you not know your child's on Did drugs? they like, not know because they weren't interested in your personal life? Yeah. Did they not much, know? I think, I okay. think that's what it was. I, okay. I do. I, I think that's what it was. And then 
from that, like, you know, I was like, oh, like Whitney Houston, oh, crack is whack. So then I started snorting cocaine because then I had a new group of friends oh. that were, they were like the rich group, you know, even oh. though I wasn't rich, but, you know, I had met these kids, you know, these older kids, because I was hung out with the older crowd and their drug of, cho drug of choice was cocaine. Girl, I went to so many coke parties and was partying at Michigan State with the football players and just, I mean, at 16, I mean, at 17 at this point. Still a kid and Still a mom. Still a kid and a mom. Yeah. Uh -huh. Not responsible, uh -huh. you know, at all. And then from there, you know, I at 18, I met my, um, I thought my knight in shining armor to rescue me from all of this and kind of ended up being the complete opposite. Remind me how you met him. How did you meet your husband? Okay. So I was dating a guy because <laughs> I was a night. I was a mess. I think I was just looking for love. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I just was looking sure. for love in all the wrong places. But I had met a guy him and I were kind of dating. And then I met my ex-husband at a spot that me and this guy used to frequent a lot. Um, and I remember him coming up to me and, you know, asking me who I was. And I was like, you know, I told him and I was like, you know, I'm I'm so-and-so's girl. And he was like, yeah, not for long. And I was like, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, OK. You know, because he was, yes, because he was kind of a big, you know, he was a big deal at this place. Like my ex-husband, he was in the streets. OK, so I don't really like want to give too much of that. But I think people understand, like when I say in the streets, he was a street guy okay. and he was a kind of a big deal. And so, um, long story short, me and the other guy broke up and then he just swooped in and it was on and popping from there. You know, actually, what? you know, I'll just say he was a drug dealer. Okay. So okay. it was, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And it was, it was actually nicer being the drug dealer's girlfriend than their customer. <laughs> you know what oh. I'm saying? Like I kind of like went to the other side. And I enjoyed being the girlfriend way better than the customer, but I still had to pay a price. I just didn't know it was going to be with my happiness. Well, what about him initially attracted to you? What attracted you to him? I think that he wanted me. Okay. You it know, was that, the, like, it was the feeling of being desired and needed. Yeah. 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 You know, cause that's what I'd always wanted my whole life. You know, like, you know, I'm right. I wrote a book about my life and it's like the first sentence in that book was all I ever wanted in life was to be loved, oh. you know, and he really wanted me. Yeah. Yeah. And there was so I think giving that. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was like a provider, you know, like he took me out of this because I was staying at this house, you know, and all I had was like, I had like my clothes and like garbage bags, you know, at this point, I had like left Jackson. My son was with his dad's mom, um, his dad's parents. And so like, I'm living out of this house, you know, out of town, you know, it's like a big party house. And then like, you know, he came in and he kind of got me out of that environment. And he's like, you know, you need to get a job. And he got me an apartment. And, you know, he like, I thought he was like my, just like, like I said, my knight in shining armor, you know, he came in on the white horse and, you know, took me out of that situation and gave me stability. Mm -hmm. Now, when did that change? How far into your relationship did that change? Months. Yeah. I mean, he like literally like, you know, he would pick me up every day. We would go shopping. We would go out to eat. You know, it was like really fun. And then I remember we were at some of his friend's house, you know, he was handling business or whatever. And when we left, I had said something that he didn't like. And out of nowhere, like he just backhanded me. 
And it shocked me. I mean, like we, I think it shocked him too at the moment because he didn't know what I was going to do. And then I just, I kind of felt like the blood trickled down my lip and I was like, oh my God, like I had never been hit before. I had never been abused by a man. You know, like my father never like spanked me or, you know, I I, even though I probably deserved it growing up, but I probably (laughs) should have got spankings, but I had never experienced that from a man. And then, you know, I just cried. And then when he realized I wasn't like, you know, let me out, I'm leaving, blah, blah, blah. He just kind of relaxed and was like, you know, we went somewhere and he got me a cold rag for my face. And we just, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, you know, I shouldn't have did that, whatever. When we just moved on from it. Do you but think then he had we, done that before, Jennifer? Do you think he had? Now I know that when I talked to the ex-girlfriends uh-huh. or his other, because he had five children when I had met him by two different women. And um, they had fought, but I, but they had always told me like he never put his hands on them like that. But I think with me, I think he knew he could get away with it. You know, I don't really know a lot of if if he ever did put his hands on them. But I know that they would fight because I know he cheated on them. You know, and that was like what he was notorious for. Right, right, yeah. That seemed to be a pattern in your relationship you know, throughout up until the. Yeah. Yeah. Up until the end. So tell me about the cycle of abuse after he hit you out of the blue that day and you were, you just kind of moved on with it. And he said he was sorry. What transpired after that? Well, we were together. Like I said, when I met him at 18, um, we didn't get married until I was 31. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. I know. Right. Like why buy the cow when you get the milk free? Um, but his cycle of abuse was always if I said something smart that he didn't like, or when he got caught cheating, which was a lot. Mm-hmm. He always had a person. He always had a side chick. And then when I look back, like that was a pattern before me. Right. You know, he had always had a side chick. He always had one main per- one main girl and a girl on the side. And then whenever I would find out about it, that's when the fighting would start. Yeah. And it's like, he was never the type to just come home and beat me up. You know, it was always when he got, when he got caught. So but he never would have said anything. Like, I know that you've got this, uh, this girlfriend on the side, nothing would have ever happened. Oh but no. Every time would, would, he probably would have never yeah. put his hands on me. He probably would have still verbally abused me because he was good for that. He was, he was a yeller. Oh my God. He yelled all the time, all the time. He was always yelling. You know, even the kids ask him to this day. They remember their daddy just yelling a lot. I mean, he was a good dad to them, um, but he just yelled. Like, if we got into an argument, after he got done yelling at me, he would go in the backyard and just be, like, yelling to himself. I'm like, dude, like, the neighbors don't need to hear this. But he just didn't care. He was always yelling. He had layers of issues going on beneath the surface. Clearly, clearly there was more going on with him. So. What were, what were some of the harder situations that you dealt with um, through your relationship with him? Man, there were so many. I mean, I remember like, it was always the other women, you know, and that's mentally like that will just trigger you and beat your self-esteem down. Like, what is it about me? Like, why, why am I not good enough? Then he was getting girls pregnant all the time. Like he had two babies outside That's of our kind of a problem. Right. Yeah. You know, and it was like that. And then he was always wanting to be in control of everything. 
I mean, like I remember one time being at work and when I got up to go to work that morning, um, he was either asleep or hadn't came home yet because he was notorious for not coming home at night. And I had made, you know, some eggs or something or bacon in the, in the, in a pan. And I always kept the house clean, but I just didn't have time to wash this pan one morning. So I was rushing to work and he calls me at work at like 12 o'clock. And he's like, I can't believe you left the kitchen a mess. Like get your ass home. And I'm sorry for, I'm not supposed no, to. No, you're fine. Safe yeah. place to come here. We're all yeah. up. Okay. Go ahead. We're good. But, you know, he was like, get your ass home and clean this effing kitchen. And I'm like, it's a pan. I'll do it when I get home or better yet. How about you just wash it if it's bothering you that bad? Yeah. And he was like, if you don't wash it, if you don't get home, because I don't really live like 10 minutes from my job at that point. He's like, if you don't get home and clean this effing pan, he's like, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to really embarrass you. And th that's the last thing I wanted was for him to come up and like embarrass me in front of my coworkers because I never told my coworkers what I was going through. And so I rushed home at lunch, washed the pan and went back to work. So you could spare yourself from being humiliated. Exactly. You know, but I think my coworkers kind of suspected, but, you know, they never really said anything. And, it, it, you know, he would all, like, I remember he spit on me, he spit in my face three times during a relationship. And that's just like the lowest of lows. And he was always just had to be in control. You know, like, mm -hmm. I don't understand his, he always had to be in control. How did you respond to that? And I, and I asked that because I've been in a similar situation. And I lived in fear and anxiety, yes. and I constantly felt like I had to please the other half so I could avoid issues. Girl, when I tell you walking on eggshells uh -huh. was an understatement, mm -hmm. like I literally would do everything I possibly could to make him. I'm, I, I wanted to please him so much that like I forgot about me. Yeah. You know, we, I, we had a house full of kids, you know. At this point, I had a, you know, we had a child and, you know, he had five other children. And then the one that he had outside of our relationship, um, they were always at the house. You know, I'm 20, like four years old. I'm, I'm at a house with, you know, with six, six kids, sometimes seven, because my oldest son started, you know, he, he ended up living with his grandparents most, you know, for his childhood, but he would always come up, you know, I would go get him on the weekends and summers and stuff. So like there was times I'm 24 with seven kids. You know, and I'm trying to, God. oh, girl, God. I'm working. I'm trying to make him happy, you know, and it's so funny because now, like, you know, me and all the kids, like, we're super cool, like all his kids, you know, the where we still celebrate holidays together. And they'll, like, they're all, like, all the kids will be sitting around, they're going down memory lane, and they're talking about these fun times. And I'm like, I don't remember that. And they'd be like, Jennifer, how do you not remember that? And I'm like, I don't. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I was so wrapped up in trying to just make him happy and to just live and survive that I missed out. You know, I kind of blanked out on a lot of the good times that the kids had growing up because I was so pressured to to just keep him happy. Right. That's a terrible place to be in. It really it, is. You it, can't it, focus on yourself. You can't focus on anything else. No, I definitely, there was nothing else to focus on, but I mean, I remember driving home from work, like, oh my God, please God, let him be in a good mood today. Oh, yeah. You know, like, please, I don't, or, or God, please let him stay home with me tonight. Please don't let him want to go out, you know, cause he was all, I would come home and he would, and he was a dresser girl. He always dressed good and smelled good. And, you know, he was real like flashy and materialistic and he just always looked good. And I remember I would come home and he would just be getting ready to go out.
And I'm like, you're leaving, you know, why can't you stay home with us tonight? I got business to handle. I got business to handle. It was like, he literally was like married to the streets. It was, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. And you felt the brunt of it at home and you were carrying all the weight at home. But I still wanted to be with them. Like, that's the crazy part. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I think because I was so like, you know, he was the first guy to like really come in and want me and want to take care of me. And, want, you know, we had, we had a house together. And I think I just was so loyal to the dysfunction yeah. that I, I couldn't leave. I mean, I could have left, but I didn't think right. I could. And Did you realize that you were in a, an abusive situation? Because just oh, now girl. when you said loyal to the dysfunction, some people don't realize it's dysfunctional. It they is. just live in it. Did you realize it? No. Okay. I was not a victim of domestic violence. Mm-mm. I was just, you know, we had a fight. It got out of hand. He said he was sorry, and we moved on. And he was always good with coming with the gift bags, honey, the makeup bags. Like he will bring me like bags from Macy's up to, he, he, I remember one day he called me and he was like, you know, meet me for lunch. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I met him and girl, he had like two Macy bags for me had like six outfits in it. Like back then, you know, like Donna Karen, like, I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. Really nice stuff. And then I realized the pattern because every time he would like buy me jewelry or clothes, he had, he didn't come home the night before. So it was like he was kind of trying to clear his guilty conscience. Right, right. And trying to make you feel better, to try to avoid confrontation. If I get her something nice, she won't say anything. And what I never understood, yeah, like what I never understood is looking back now, like, dude, if you didn't want to be with me, why didn't you just leave me? Right. But it's like he had to keep me there because I was the one that like he could take his frustration out on. Like his girlfriends on the side, like they, they were going on dates and, you know, going out of town and stuff that, that I recently, you know, I found out after we broke up, but I'm like, I was the one that, you know, that he could depend on to leave his kids with that would keep the house, you know, that was, well, he was always a clean person, but you know, that was just at home. I was like the, the China doll every now and then he would take me out on a date. I really felt like when, once we got married that like he was cheating on his girlfriend with his wife you yeah you know would be such a mainstay in his world like he wasn't mm-hmm. changing any of that girl I remember one night this was this is how bad it was and how like just open it was it was like three o'clock in the morning one of the girlfriends called our house because she had just got into a fight with another girlfriend of his oh girl i have stories <laughs> on top of stories of like people are like are you kidding me and then she, when I answered the phone, you know, it was landlines back then. She was like, I was like, are you, you know, I'm like, you know, yelling at her. Like, I can't believe you're calling my house. What are you calling my house for? She's like, Jennifer, I got time for you. Put him on the phone. Are and you serious? Like, and then he talked to her. It was like, don't be mad because the other girl whooped your ass. And, blah. and I'm like, you, hello, I'm, 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 in, I'm, in the, I'm in the bed with you. You know, like it was just, it just got to the point of such disrespect such disrespect and it's like i i can't you know when i talk about it it's like girl you went through that yeah like, it, 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 you were used to living in that environment of disrespect oh and, and you know what that's you're absolutely right yeah I, I was so used to it you know that it, we took i took it from the from the side chicks like they would call my they came up one girl came up the same girl came up to my job and then he had the nerve to tell me why didn't you whoop her ass it's so much dysfunction. 
will you please tell us about when you were pregnant with your daughter mm-hmm. and what happened and why you had to go to the hospital early? So, yeah. Um, so I had like in the year before I had my daughter, I had a um, blood clot in my lung and I almost died. And because the hospital missed it and sent me home. And it was like really crazy. Like after that, I was like, oh my God, I want a little girl because I had two sons. And I was like, I want a little girl. And he was like, no, no, no. Like you can't have a baby. You just had a blood clot and you have a heart condition, blah, blah, blah. Well, long story short, the reason why he didn't want me to have a baby is because he had got another girl pregnant. And I found out about it. And then he let me have, you know, he was like, okay, you know, we can have another baby or whatever. So I got pregnant with her and it was, you know, I love my daughter. I truly believe that God gave me her to save my life. But my pregnancy was terrible. I was depressed. You know, he was not the, it wasn't, you know, laying on, you know, my belly, talking to the baby, rubbing my belly. It was none of that. I don't even think we barely slept in the same bed. Um, you know, I was working, going to school, coming home, taking care of the kids, you know, being at school to 10 o'clock at night. And one night I had came home and our son like burned a hole in the kitchen floor while he was downstairs. He had like tried to light a candle with a paper towel. And, um, I go downstairs and I'm like, so our son almost burns on the house and you just sit down here watching TV. And he's like, you know, what the F are you talking about? And I'm like, your daughter just told me that like D'Angelo tried to light a candle with the paper towel and it like burned a big hole in the, in the floor in the kitchen. And he's like, what? And he goes upstairs and he was mad at me. Like it was my fault. And he just started yelling at me. And I'm like, look, I have worked all day. I've been at school since, you know, six o'clock. It's like 1030. I'm tired. I don't want to do this tonight. You know, I was eight months pregnant and all of a sudden he just spit in my face. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, where did this even come from? And I knew at that point, like, and, and then he told his daughter to come spit in my face. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is- and, I, and I'm like, you know, honey, you might want to rethink that. And she didn't, you know, of course, she just said, you know, she was at the dining room table doing her homework. And I just was like, you know, I'm going to go in the bedroom. I'm just going to remove myself from the situation because it's about to get bad. And I'm just, I don't have it in me tonight. And I went to walk past him through the kitchen doorway And he just grabbed me and just threw me over the couch. And I landed between the couch and the coffee table. And I felt my daughter like jar in my stomach. Mm -hmm. I got the worst pain ever. And I just started crying. And then he looked at what he did. And he was kind of had like an oh shit moment. Like, uh oh, like this is going to be bad. Because I was like, I need an ambulance. And he just took off in the car. He left? He just left. And so I called my best friend and um, the girls called their mom and their mom came over. I called and I called the police and the police came and the police was like the biggest jerk ever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it was just a really bad moment. So I went to the hospital. Long story short, I, they ended up admitting me because she rolled on her umbilical cord and she was losing oxygen. And so they admitted me and I, I it was like, the day before my birthday, my birthday's, it was two days before my birthday, um, April 25th, my birthday's April 27th. And I remember they, they admitted me and I was in there for like a week. But while I was in there, you know, I'd advocate because I had bruises all over me, um, from previous fights. 
And my doctor was like, he can't come up here. I don't want him up here. So they had sent an advocate up and, you know, she had talked me into getting a restraining order, but I was scared to get a restraining order because I still lived with them. Where the hell was I going to go? And if he leaves, who's going to pay the rent? Right. You know? And so I went ahead and I I was going to file for the restraining order. And then they were going to send me home like four days late, like a week later. And I was like, no, I'm not leaving here without my daughter because she keeps, you know, rolling over, you know, she keeps losing oxygen. Like I have monitors on me now when I get home, I'm not going to. So like, no. So they ended up doing, yeah, they ended up doing the amnio and they were like, okay, her lungs are developed. So, you know, we can go ahead and induce your labor. So I had her a week, you know, like three weeks early and he came up to the hospital, even though the doctors didn't want him there. And he came up, he was of no help during my labor and delivery. Um, but I remember when she was born, he like literally left my side and went right to her, which was cool, whatever. And then, you know, he started kind of being nice after I had her when we were in the hospital. Then he took us home like the big happy family. And two weeks later, girl, I look out my window and he, he woke up that morning and was like, you know, I got some errands to run or whatever. And he left a police officer, a bailiff pulled up and was like, are you Jennifer Redledge? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, you've been served. I'm like, served with what? And she was like, a restraining order. He went down on my birthday and got a restraining order against me. That is so effed up, Jennifer. That Terrible. is so unstable and unhealthy and all of the above. Like, I cannot even believe. And when I read the the um, restraining order, I read like his complaint. And he said he was, was scared. Complaint? He was, was scared. For his, he was scared for his life. He was scared for his children's life because I was crazy. I was unbalanced. I, um, you know, I yelled all the time. I argued with them, you know, like he Wait, was this scared. Sounds like him. This yeah, sounds he, like him. He did all this. Why he put me in the hospital? Like it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. But the bailiff was really nice. It was a female bailiff. And she's like, you know, this isn't the type of restraining order that you have to stay like, you know, 100 or 50 feet away from them or whatever. She's like, the judge didn't grant that. But you cannot harm, physically harm him, uh, molest him or like some other craziness. She's like, but you, yeah, bullshit. She's like, but you don't have to leave your house. But he always used that for like the next year. Uh, oh, you want to go to jail? Because, uh, you know, you do have the I do have the restraining order against you. And I was just like, dude. But I did go to jail one time for domestic violence. He, I got arrested for defending myself. So I did end up going to jail one time. Yeah, but you were defending yourself. Yeah. So that's a sticky situation. Yeah, you know. The police officer was like, because I, t- I called the police because I knew it was going to get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And the police, they knew us by name. They were at our house, our, our house all the time. And, but there was a new police officer that came with the regular ones that knew us mm-hmm. and the new police officer interviewed me. And I was like, yeah, you know, he was in my face screaming and hollering. So like I pushed him away from me and then I called you guys and he was like, oh, you put your hands on him. And I was like, well, I pushed him away to call you. And he was like, oh, you put your hands on him. Turn around. We're, you know, I got it. You're, you're going, you're going to jail. Yeah. They don't like, like this very much. They don't like that. No. I was like, What? And even the other officers was like, yo, dude, like, no, we don't have to. And he was like, nope. She put her hands on him. She's going to jail. I did 17 hours in jail. It was like the longest 17 hours of my life. Because it was you a- feel like this is so jacked up. You're like, where is the justice? Where you know, is the- where's the help? Where's the support in all of this? It was you know? so insane. Like, I'm sitting in the holding tank, like, all these times this mother 
You can say so it. And so and so. You can say Put it. his hands on me. And I never once had him arrested. And here I am sitting in a cold ass holding tank. And I was so scared, girl. I ain't gonna lie. I am not about that life. Okay. I am no. not about that life. I know that. I was so scared to go to jail, but you know, it was the set at the, who, the girl that they put me in. She was really in the cell, but she was really cool though. So, um, and then the officer, one of the officers, he was really cool. He brought me back cigarettes and you know, he, he was like, it was, a, it was a good, it, it ended up not being as horrifying as I thought it was going to be. Right. But um, right. I remember the next day, because it was a Saturday. So I'm thinking I'm not going to court till Monday. But crazy thing, they had like a court hearing on a Sunday and they let me out. And so I walked home. It was like a three mile walk. And I get home and he looks at me and he's like, oh, why didn't you call me? I came and got you. Oh, I was so mad. Sick. That's so sick. I was so so confusing. I'm like, who are you? Who yeah, are you, dude? I never knew like who I was going to get when I walked through the door. Yeah. That's a horrible feeling because you're know? always on eggshells. You're like, well, who is it now? What am I going to get? Exactly. And that yeah. these, you know, and I want women to know now that like, girl, you are not the only one going through this. Mm-mm. And it's not normal. It's not it's normal. It's not normal. It's not love. You know, no. I, I remember the one time it, I, I had left several times and always ended up coming back. But, you know, and they say, and I tell women, like, don't, don't be, don't get down on yourself if you leave and end up coming back. Cause it takes a, a victim literally seven times to leave before she actually really stays gone. I can understand that. You know, it's a process. And, and it's a process. It is a process. Right. Like, please, ladies, if, if, you know, don't beat yourself up. Well, I shouldn't say beat yourself up. That's not a good choice of words, but don't get on yourself. Don't about, be hard on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. You know, if you leave and end up coming back, because I did that, you know, they say up to seven times, like I probably left about 20 times, Yeah. you know, before I stayed gone. But I remember one of the times I, I was gone, I was living with a cousin and he wanted to like, you know, try and make things work. And so we had, and I went over there, we went out and I, we had stopped. Um, we were, already, we always drank champagne, like Moet champagne. Like that was mm-hmm. just our drink of choice. Mm-hmm. And we had went downtown Detroit and, you know, sat by the water and, you know, he, he was, uh, he always had cars. He had a lot of cars, nice cars. And we were in like one of his um, old school cars convertible. It was a nice summer night. And uh, we had stopped at the gas station and I, um, I went in the gas station to use the bathroom. Well, I guess I was in there too long and he, he walked in the bathroom and I was checking my voicemail and he thought I was in there talking to another dude. And so like, he grabbed me and like, he was like, this is what you're in here doing. He's like cussing me out. You know, you ain't nothing but a bitch or blah, 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 blah. And he like threw me on the ground and I was like, dude, I'm done. Like, just go. I will find a way back to, you know, my cousin's house. And he was like, no, you're coming with me. And he just like picked me up. And like, we were fighting, walking out of the, I mean, we're about to knock chip racks over in the gas station. There's people in the gas station. Nobody did anything. Nobody said anything. They just he watched. Throws, they're just watched. I mean, he was a big guy and he throws me in the car and then I try to get out and he had like, it was an old school car. So, you know, the push locks up and down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I kept getting out. So he finally just unscrewed the lock and closed the door. So I couldn't unlock the door. And then we get back to the house and I'm like, you know, dude, I'm done. I went in the house. I got a few more things and I came out because my car was at his house and he's like, so you're leaving. And I was like, yeah, like I can't do this anymore. And before I knew it, he threw his car keys at my face. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, why does he have so many keys? 
Like he has a lot of ca- keys on this ring. And I'm like, oh, it's probably all the side chick houses. Yeah. Yeah. He needs access. He needs access to apartments. He was like a janitor with all these keys. And he threw the keys at my face. And it, I remember seeing like sparks of lightning and, you know, all the keys hitting each other. And then it was like the movie Carrie. I just felt like blood running all down my face. And I just fell to my knees. And he scooped me up and carried me in the house and took me in the bathroom and like got a cold compress once again for my head. And he's like, do you see how much I love you? That's such a mind fuck. Right. I was like, yeah, I don't want this kind of love anymore. No, that's not love. You know, like, yeah, no, I'm good. And then I remember he was like, don't move. Cause I kept telling him like, I need to go to the hospital. I'm losing a lot of blood here. And he, he kept, he went in the kitchen and I heard water running and it scared me. Cause I was like, what's he going to do? And then I heard him walk out the door and then I heard a splash in the driveway. And then he made like three more trips out from the kitchen to the driveway because he was trying to wash all the blood off from the driveway so he wouldn't look suspicious. Right. And then he wasn't, he wouldn't take me to the hospital. Jeez, and so Lord. he's like, just lay down. We'll be okay. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I should lay down with losing all this blood. Like I might have a concussion. And um, I remember he never came to bed that night. He like slept in the living room and I, I woke up the next morning and I went to the bathroom and I passed the mirror and I stopped and I backed up and I looked in the mirror, girl, and I had two black eyes. Mm. I had a whole bunch of cut, cuts on my forehead around my, and I was like, I didn't even recognize myself. And then I went out into the living room and he just looked at me and went about his business. No big deal. No big deal. And I, yeah, like not a sorry, not, oh my God, look at your face, nothing. And so I left and I remember, you know, I had just recently got into the church and um, I went to my church and I was sitting in the parking lot and I could hear the choir singing and I could hear them in there praising. And all I wanted was to go in there and talk to, to my first lady. Mm-hmm. She was, she's such a strong woman. And, and she's, she speaks about, you know, abuse that she dealt with before she married Bishop. And I remember I just wanted to go in there and talk to her. She was, they were like my spiritual parents, but I remember the devil in my ear talking about they in there having church. You can't go in there looking like that. You can't go in there disrupting service. She ain't got time to talk to you. And so I sat there for like 15 minutes, just listening to the choir. And then I just pulled off and I never went in. And I didn't tell her that until like probably nine years later. Yeah. You know, and she's like, oh, my God, like, that is so, like, you should have came in, of course. She's like, but, you know, women need to hear that. Like, the church, you know, is your safe place. At least, you know, for me, it was. Right. And, like, my relationship with God is the only reason you're talking to me today. Right. You had support. You had the support and love that you needed to get it. And you're not going to get it everywhere you think, you're the place you think you're going to get it from. It may not always be your family because when you start telling your family about how this man's kicking your ass all the time, but you keep going back to him, you can't be mad at them for not really wanting you to stay with him. Yeah. You know? And so like, I had got to the point where like, you know, my girlfriends were like, okay, we love you. We got you. If you want to leave, you can come stay with us. But if you're not going to leave, you know, like they were just like, we can't keep watching this. Like we can't yeah. keep, you know, we're ear to hear, but at the end of the day, you got to do something. Right. 
Right. You they know? were probably tired of watching it happen to you. Yeah, they were. They were. They were so, but you- so, okay. This takes me to your GTFO moment. We knew oh, that you wow. had taken years and years of this and you didn't know where to go. And you stayed for a long time. What was your GTFO moment? Girl, my G, it's, I love the G, I love how you say GTFO. Oh, because, thank you. Um, that's, I always refer to it as like a aha moment, like, aha, he's not going to change. But my GTFO moment was once again, he wanted to make things work. And so, um, it was his, it was, um, his oldest daughter was her grandson's birthday party and his sisters never liked me which whatever, I didn't really care about that. But anyways, his sisters never liked me. So when we went to the birthday party, his one sister brought the baby, the the last child that he had outside of our relationship to the party as like a jab. Oh, it's ridiculous. Girl, I'm telling you, like, this is, I'm telling you, that's a Lifetime movie. And so, you know, I was like, oh, she ain't, you know, I'm not going to let her bother me. And he even, he was really nice. He was like, you know, do you want to leave if you're uncomfortable? And I was like, that is your son. You know, I'm not going to let a baby make me uncomfortable. This baby didn't ask to be here. You know what I'm saying? So no, I'm not leaving because, you know, this is your, you know, your child's here. So, you know, we stayed at the birthday party. We had a good time. And then afterwards there was a festival going on downtown. So, and we had our daughter, she was like a year and a half at the time. And so we went down to the festival festival for a little bit. And I just casually said to him, like, why don't you ever stand up to your sisters about me? Like, you know, that was really disrespectful. You, your sister could have called you and gave, gave you heads up. I had been to her house to pick up something earlier that day for him. And she could have like, you know, even though they tolerated, you know, we tolerated each other. She still could have said something. Sure. But sure. Whatever. And he, and then he just like went off on me. Like, I can't make anybody do something i can't control anybody and it just started he kind of started raising his voice people kind of started looking i'm like okay let's go you know it's time to go so we were driving down 94 and we were kind of still arguing and um some words were said and then as i'm driving down 94 he backhands me while i'm driving and i'm like oh god this is this is not gonna be good and we're arguing and I'm crying. And then I get off the freeway and he just backhands me again. And then he's like, let me the fuck out. Gladly, sir, gladly. So I pull over to let him out and he snatches my car keys out of the ignition because uh-huh. I didn't put the car in park. I still left it in drive and I had my foot on the brake. And he snatched my car keys and threw them in the bushes on the side of the road. Right. I'm like, those are my house keys. Cause I had my own apartment at the time. You know, I was, I was, I had moved out and then he like rushes around the car and opens up the driver's side door. And he just starts blasting me, like just punching me, punching me, punching me. And I had my foot on the brake. And then I don't know what he was thinking. He was like so psychotic at this moment. He no. put his foot on the gas and floored it. And I got my foot on the brake his foot's on the gas. My engine's like about to blow. And I remember seeing cars coming. And all I kept thinking was, if I let my foot off the brake, me and my daughter are flying into traffic. That's horrifying. And I remember hearing her screams louder than mine. 
And so I told him, okay, please just take your foot. It was like I had seven angels on my foot holding my, that breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I told him, okay, fine, fine, fine. You can drive. You can drive. Just take your foot off the gas. And finally, he took his foot off the gas. I put the car in park, and I jumped over to the passenger seat. He jumps in. He's driving erratically down the street. He's, like, doing, like, mm-hmm. 70 down the high, you know, down this, you know, road. And my baby girl's crying in the background. And I'm just like, I can't believe you did this tonight. And then, I, you know, I saw, I did say something out of line. I'm not going to lie, you know, about the child because I felt like this is what the argument started about was his sister bringing the baby. He didn't stick up for me. And then he just like backhanded me like five times in a row. Wow, 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 wow. And it was like it was never going to stop. And I'm just crying and crying and my daughter's screaming and he's doing like 70 down this like main, you know, road in our city. And then he pulls up to the house and he gets out. Now, keep in mind, I don't have no house keys now because he threw them in the bushes. Right. Sure. <laughs> and so he pulls up. He, I, I pull up. He gets out of the car, jumps in his car and leaves. Oh, no, he did go in the house to get his he, to get something. Then he left. And so I remember going in the house with my daughter and I'm like, how am I going to get in my house? I don't have my house keys. And then his kids came over and they seen me crying, holding the Mm. baby. And they were like, Jennifer, let us take our little sister. And so they took my daughter with them. And then I ended up sleeping on this couch. And that was like my get the fuck out moment. Like this, you can't let your daughter grow up seeing this. No, no, you you can't. And that was like that. And that was the last time he ever put his hands on me. This sounds crazy, but but good for you. Good for you for having that moment and realizing that your daughter is more important than anything else. And you could not have let that impact her life. That's all I could think about. It was, I can't let her, I remember as he's punching me, I can't let her grow up seeing this. No, she can't. You know, and she loved her, her. you know, she grew up loving her dad. You know, I mean, and and a lot of women always say, oh, I have to stay for the kids. Ladies, can I just be completely honest with you? Mm -hmm. That is a huge excuse because I used it for years. When I left him, when I tell you the kids were happier, kids are, they're so much happier in a house that's not full of violence. Agreed. They are resilient. They will be okay. They can still yes. see their father. Their father just ain't got to see you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great message and a great point. It can happen and it's healthier it for them. And it's so much healthier. And, you know, my daughter, you know, grew up loving, you know, I, well, I should probably put this out there. He passed away in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had closure, you know, probably like, Four years after I left him, he started like calling me at like random times. Like, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. Like he was having like these come to Jesus moments. Right. They didn't last long, but he will always apologize. And then like two weeks before he died, you know, he told me, he's like, I'm going to go to my dying breath, making up to you what I put you through. And then he passed away like two weeks later. Um, but I want to tell women, sometimes you're not going to get closure and closure can be overrated. You know, so don't walk around looking for the closure like, oh, he owes me an apology. He needs to say he's sorry for what he did. You can't expect that. You can't can't expect that. No, because most times they never do. So you're lucky. They don't. Yeah. You know, it was just, you know, I don't know. It was just crazy that I did. You know, I'm grateful I got the closure, but I would have been okay if I didn't get the closure. 
because well, I had healed myself. Yeah. You had taken care of yourself, which and, is really important. Yeah. And, and, I, and I want women to know that when you leave, you have to go through the process of healing. It's not easy. It's not fun, but it's necessary. Well, you just brought me to one of my last questions for you, and that is, what advice do you have for other women? And you're you're already talking about it, but please elaborate because that is the reason for this podcast today, so they can hear you and find the courage to do the same thing to get out. You have to want it more than you want him. You have to want your happiness more than you want this man. There's a whole life of happy out here waiting for you. You may not see it. You may not see it a week after you leave. You may not even see it a month or two after you leave. But ladies, I promise you, life after abuse is fabulous. I never, ever imagined this, but I could not have done it for one, if it was not for God. And for two, if I did not go through the healing process and everyone's healing process is different. Therapy is absolutely key. Therapy is a necessity. Forgiveness is key. I have a workshop that I, I I hit on all these points, but forgiveness, like you have to not only, I'm not saying like tell this guy or a girl, you know, whoever your abuser is that you forgive him. But like, I literally told God, like, Lord, I forgive him and I forgive myself for staying. I had to forgive myself. Yeah, sure. And once I let that, that all that unforgiveness go, oh my God, girl, my life changed. Like I didn't like call him and tell him I forgave him. Like that, that was a conversation I had with me and God. And I just, I had to learn me again. And girl, learning who Jennifer Blue was, I had a blast doing that. Well, she's quite amazing. I, I can love tell you her. that. I like her a lot too. <laughs> I love her. I love, I love who I've found out who I really am. I mean, I know I kind of stuttered through that, but when I found out who I really am, like I, she was so suppressed for all those years of, of this abuse. And then honey, when she came out, Oh, she came out with a bang. Like I am super, I love life. I love makeup. I love weave. I love wigs. I love the long eyelashes. I love to, and the best part that I learned about myself, I love to laugh. You do. I love to laugh. You know, my kids are always like, mama, you so extra. And I'm like, honey, I can't get more extra than what I, you know, there's never too much extra. You are the fly girl. You're free to love yourself. (laughs) You are the fly girl. You were free to love yourself, Jennifer. That used to be one of my favorite songs, girl, fly girl. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, and, and everybody's a fly girl. Yeah. You know, anybody who's listening, you are a fly girl, baby. You, you rock. You have so much to offer life. And sometimes what I've learned is you have to let go of the person that you love in order to find the person who loves you. Yeah, it's so true. You got to unblock yourself and you got to love yourself more. Yes. Well, Jennifer, there's so much more to talk about. I mean, there's your play. There's everything you're doing I'm now. I'm sorry, we didn't but, even get on. No, or we get no, to talk but you'll <laughs> you'll have to come back. Here's yes, yes, indicator that I would love for you to come back. But in the meantime, how can people get in touch with you for speaking or to get to know you better or for advice? How yes, can they find please. you? Um, they can find me. I'm really active on Instagram. I am the real Jennifer Blue on Instagram. The real, 
the real, yeah, my one account was hacked. So I had to go and I had to come back strong and let them know, oh, this is the real Jennifer Blue. So I'm the real Jennifer Blue on Instagram. Um, they can go to my Facebook page, of course, which is Jennifer Blue. Got a long blonde wig on, looking really fly. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it'll say from Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina. I mean, from Jackson, Michigan, but lives in Winston-Salem. That's me. Because a lot of people have tr trouble finding me on Facebook. Um, I have a website the Jennifer Blue Project, where they can actually um, get my book titled Girl, We Need to Talk. Um, we talk about the three phases of knowing you're in an abusive relationship, dealing with an abusive relationship, and leaving an abusive relationship. I actually did a video to it, too, so it's really cool. You get the book in the video. And then um, I'm not really on Snapchat. I only use Snapchat for the filters. And I, my, I'm on Twitter. I don't really tweet as much as I should, but I'm Jennifer Blue X on Twitter. You guys so. can find her there. There are many ways to connect with her, and I know she'd be happy to talk to you. Yes, please. You. I love talking to to people on social media. Right. Exactly. And um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, oh, Jennifer, so you're going to no. have to come <laughs> back. You're going to have to come back, and I'm going to give the. Um, the number to the domestic violence hotline again for yes, anyone out there listening and they have heard Jennifer's story. The number again, if you need it, is 800-799-7233. And again, it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yes. Now is the time for you to make a change. Now is the time for you to take care of yourself. You've heard Jennifer's story. She has done it. She came out of it. She's written a play. She's a leader and she's quite remarkable and you should be able to do the same. So that is the message today, ladies. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, girl. Thank you. I love you so much. Oh, let me clarify, ladies and gentlemen, let me just make sure that's balanced because it happens to both. It yes. happens to both genders. So it doesn't discriminate. But yes, we, I'm thrilled to have had you and you'll have to come back. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Holly, for all that you do. You're so amazing. Well, thank you. So are you. Thank you for joining me today on the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. To connect with me for confidence coaching or speaking engagements, please connect with me at hollykaplan.com or find me on Instagram at GTFO underscore podcast. Thanks. <laughs>